We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to I knew the Bills were going to be active. I didn't know that they'd be this active. And if you step back, you may say, well, boy, they didn't have many top-line moves. I mean, they splashed. It's not like they signed Le'Veon Bell, but they signed Mitch Morris, gave him the uh, highest-paid center deal in the league, and that stood up even after Matt Paradis got a deal. They bring in Frank Gore, want to see how he can do with LaShawn McCoy, two 30-plus-year-old running backs in that backfield. Signed two wide receivers, or agreed to two wide receivers, John Brown and Cole Beasley today, added a tight end in Tyler Croft, and then two offensive linemen in the last uh, couple of weeks here. So clearly trying to Surround Josh Allen with weapons and protection. We'll see how it plays out. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Mike Garofolo from NFL Network talking about the Bills' busy early week in free agency. It's fantastic. We're shaking and moving. Chris, there's shit happening all over the place. I know. I'm going to Atlanta tomorrow to see uh, nothing more of Mice and Men on Saturday. Can't wait for that. Who gives a shit about Screamo? You've got wide, re- the, you've got the two top wide receivers and highest paid wide receivers, at least in the NFL, swapping teams. You've got teams making highest paid players ever at multiple positions getting signed. I mean, it, it's lunacy out here, Chris. It is lunacy. That's, That's how right, free, folks. That's how free agency works. <laughs> People get overpaid. It is free agency weeks, folk. Oh, Jesus. What what a time to be alive. You know, if you've ever if you ever feel like you've picked the wrong profession, or maybe you could have tried harder at something just to see if it worked out and feel bad about where you currently are, this is the week to do it. I mean, you, Chris, there's some guy making what I'd have to say, our combined salaries maybe about fifteen times over annually, because he catches a football. Yeah, not even well. Some of them don't even have to do it well, and they're making that much money. It's incredible. 
Just free agency, folks. It's a free-for-all. Oh, we have a hell of a show in front of you guys this week. It is the Knee-Jerk Reaction Podcast. But first, Chris, the deadline is here. Season tickets. For our Buffalo Bills fans out there, the season ticket commitments from current season ticket holders are due by Friday. After, after that deadline, they go open to the public. I mean, guys, trust me. It's worth it. I got season tickets. I can do whatever the hell I want. I mean, <laughs> not quite whatever the hell I want. But I got to tell you, when you have a magnetic personality like I do, you certainly get yourself a little bit of latitude. I mean, my usher and the sheriffs that oversee our section know me by name. And we're usually laughing whenever we get a chance to speak to each other. Take from that what you will. Or when they see you on the field with a media pass. <laughs> how did how did you get the, one of these? I remember the quote. The guy who oversees our section sees me down there in the end zone talking to players, and he turns around, he looks at me, he does a double take, and he comes walking over with kind of a shit-eating grin on his face. He just looks at me and goes, shouldn't you be up there with a beer in your hand yelling at people? Because like, What are you doing down here? Uh, well, sometimes I got to be a professional. Listen, sometimes you got to pull it together. Now, one of the interesting things about this for me, Chris, Chris, my producer here, this is his second season. Last year was his very first season as an official season ticket holder for the Buffalo Bills. Now, now that you're, you know, you've been indoctrinated into what it is to be a season ticket holder, show up every single week like clockwork to tailgate at the highest of levels. Yeah. Okay? And get tackled by Potter. And get tackled by Potter. Yeah, and get beat up in the parking lot because it's all part of the experience. I got to ask you, Chris, what are your thoughts here? First and foremost, your expectations for the upcoming season. Uh, that I have permanent shotgun in the truck <laughs> over Potter since Dan is not renewing with us. That I have shotgun. Are you calling I, it now? I'm calling. I should have shotgun because I show up for winter games. <laughs> That's, that, that is fair. You do show up for winter games. Now, besides record, what do you hope is going to be better in 2019? Well, the play on the field will definitely be better because I already have we already have it. Seagram's bet we're in the playoffs this year. Okay. Book it. Okay. So what else? What are some other things that you, just the experience as a whole, as a season ticket holder, that you're hoping is better this year than last year? Uh, I hope that, uh, uh, that like old school RV finds a new lot. <laughs> Those bar stool bros, they pull into the lot, run out with a giant Bills flag. There's fucking chicks pooping behind the behind the Winnebago, and <laughs> it just that. in public. We saw that. That was like the second to last home game. Some some like they park in the middle of the lot, and she goes behind like she's not going to be seen. Chris, there's a whole nother row of cars. We see your bare ass. Chris, when drunk people do what drunk people are going to do, I mean, they can't all be professionals like we are, right? <laughs> no. You're <laughs> far from professional. <laughs> now, for you, and speaking of this, so as we're talking about tailgates, tailgating, who gets shotgun, what's one thing that you personally would change about the way that we currently do things on a week-to-week basis? You know, being part of this hardcore tailgating portion of the fan base. I don't think I'd change anything. Everything seems to work. I mean, hopefully this year I'll be able to, like at least in the summer, I'll be able to, to come up with some different dips. I think I have, I have four in my arsenal of dips to bring to the tailgate. So that's what I'm going to be doing this summer is trying to maybe a meat lover's dip. <laughs> you would love that. 
Oh, who wouldn't? If if you don't like the concept of a meat lover's dip, we put it out there for profiling purposes. You're not allowed at my tailgate. You will be thrown out. <laughs> oh, Chris, it's going to be a great time. And you know what? I got to crack a beer to that. <sighs> Chris, cheers to another hopefully successful season as Bill's season ticket holders. And guys, with that, we're going to jump right into things here with this week's Bill's News Update. Every decade or so, a franchise has a moment that redefines in the mind of its fan base who and what it is in that moment. Okay, Sometimes it's achieving a victory that fans just didn't think was possible, Chris. Like, I'm thinking back to... When we beat the Patriots and thought that this was the start of a trend. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that, and that obviously didn't materialize. Or, in that case, you know, sometimes it's, it's, the, it's you know, your team making a signing that announces like, hey, we're serious about making a push for something here. And sometimes it's adversity that shows you how much things have changed, even when they don't feel like they have. Now, I'm not going to talk your ear off about the Antonio Brown topic. I'm not. I mean, every, it's been a week. Everyone's beaten the shit out of this topic to the point where I feel like there's nothing more to tell. I was actually asleep for it. I was asleep. I was exhausted. And my wife tells me, eh, it's about 930 at night. The Sabres are playing a hockey game. They had just tied the game two to two. I know they're going to lose. So I don't, I don't care. I'm not watching this game. And my wife looks at me and goes, why don't you just go to sleep? You're not missing anything. Those were her exact words. So I got a blanket, rolled over, went to sleep. That's it. At 11.45 p.m., she's waking me up, shaking me, because I have 11 missed text messages, five Facebook messages, six missed phone calls, and Chris is actively calling me nonstop, and she's pretty sure that somebody died. I called you, A, I called you once, and you answered, like... And you must have been the last yeah, person to you, call me. You answered like you were, like, crawling out of a grave. <laughs> you, it sounded like you were in a, in a deep sleep, because I don't generally... You use Twitter, our Twitter account, more than I do, and I had a notification on my phone from uh, our friends in Australia. <laughs> Is this Antonio Brown thing true? And I'm like... I was like, what is he talking about? I hadn't been on Twitter all night. And I like open up our Twitter feed and it's boom, Antonio Brown of the Bills. Brown of the Bills. I'm like, what the hell? And so I just I called you immediately. I'm like, you gotta get on you gotta get on this. Oh. I mean guys, it's and obviously everything since then has played played out the way it played out. I'm not I'm not even gonna bother giving you the Cliff Notes version of it because if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know what happened, then you're either living under a rock or you're just beyond my help. In the aftermath of the Antonio Brown situation, though, there's a lot of leftover emotion and sentiment that I've been seeing play out across the fan base. I mean, for anger towards Antonio Brown. Anger towards our GM. Regional pride and a lot of defensiveness. I mean, Chris, Twitter was swarming all weekend long with people literally just banging pots and pans over the idea that someone dared to disrespect the great city of Buffalo, New York. Guys, it's happened before, and it will happen again. Now repeat after me. Who's from Everybody. Everybody needs to collectively say after me. Goose from 
Guys, it's not that big of a fucking deal. So what? A trade fell through. I mean, when you look at how it played out since then, Brandon Bean, the Pittsburgh GM, and Brown's agent Drew Rosenhaus have all spoken publicly. And unless your level of skepticism is the same as the Huddle's host, Ryan Lasel, who probably also, based on the way he reacted to this, probably also doesn't believe that we actually landed on the moon. It seems to close the loop on a lot of what happened here. I mean, nothing happened. Our GM reached out to their team just to see, just to kick the tires. It never got to the point of negotiating a contract extension or negotiating anything with the agent, with the player. They just decided between our two teams that this wasn't going to work. Okay? And I'll level with all of you here. I was never a fan of the idea in the first place, going back to when it first got opened up for discussion weeks ago. But in sorting through this fallout, I've come to appreciate a few things, and I think that there's some silver linings here that Bills fans are just missing. You know, there's a lot of animosity, but you're missing the bigger picture, which might change the way you look at this. First of all, the fact that Brandon Bean, not just in the Antonio Brown situation, but now you find out in the Odell Beckham situation, has at least held some conversations with these teams that are trading these uber-talented wide receivers underscores the fact that he's at least willing to pick up the phone and shows an awareness that he knows we don't have stellar weapons. We don't have elite playmakers on our offense. So it's at least worth doing your due diligence and making a phone call. Chris, what, 10, 15 teams in the league were apparently involved with each player? Yeah, I could see us being in, I mean, I would if Even remotely involved. I would have mind Antonio Brown as long as we didn't have to restructure his deal and extend it. Well, and that's just it. It would have come down to a negotiation about money, and for Brown, it never even got there. And for Odell Beckham, I mean, that's a whole nother can of worms. He's got one year left of guaranteed money on his contract, and then after that, he's essentially year to year. It's nothing but team options because there's no guaranteed money left. So at that point, what are you, Chris, what, what's the... What's the value versus what, what are the odds he's going to hold out for more guaranteed money? Nobody wants to take that headache on except for the Browns. Yeah, Chippewa does not want that headache of OBJ. <laughs> Nobody wants to deal with this. But so my point is you've got a GM who you at least know has a pulse, and he understands where we are as a franchise in terms of talent level. And then I think the, I think the better point here, Chris, Look how far we've come as a franchise in 10 years. You know, one of the things people kept underscoring is the fact that this team, you know, all the Antonio Brown trade to the Bills is going to happen on the 10-year anniversary of the T.O. signing. The T.O. signing? Chris, that was a fucking joke. It was a farce. He signed here, and they trumped out Mayor Byron Brown to give him the fucking key to the city. The key to the city? To a wide receiver in football. For what? For signing a one-year contract with a... I, Chris, I'm going to try not to yell yet. <laughs> I'm trying not to get myself all worked up over here. But that T.O. situation was a joke. A joke from the start. Chris, that's the Buffalo Bills that we used to know. Okay? They were a group of bumblers. PR men, think about it. The Russ Brandon era Buffalo Bills. Between the T.O. signing, the Toronto deal, 
they weren't they weren't trying to build. Okay, I mean, let's call it, let's call a spade a spade here. This was weekend at Bernie's. Ralph Wilson was a figurehead. He had no real control as an owner. He had no real oversight, and no he had no hand in what was happening here at One Bills Drive. And so with that, you had a whole bunch of people in the front office working autonomously, GMs, uh, presidents of public relations who apparently were way more connected than anybody gave them credit for in Russ Brandon, who quietly had a hand in so many things we were doing. And look at what we did. We were an annual dog and pony show, not a football team. Okay. So when you look at it through that lens of the, you know, the Toronto Buffalo Bills and the T.O. Buffalo Bills. That group would have shoved one of their own family members down the flight of stairs to sell. I mean, think about it. It was just a week ago, Chris. Season ticket holder renewal is due to, what, two days from now? Yep. How badly would the Russ, what, what diabolical shit would the Russ Brandon Buffalo Bills have done to make that Antonio Brown trade happen just to put asses in the seats? Yeah, I could definitely, I could definitely see that happening. They'd sell jerseys. They'd get a primetime game out of it. Probably they would. It would make them nationally relevant, even if it didn't elevate the to- the overall direction of the team. It wouldn't matter. It put asses in the seats, and that's all that mattered to that front office. In ten years, we've evolved into a franchise that's bigger than that. For the first time since I can remember, here's a, here's a team that's willing to. They're willing to do things that, hey, you know, think about Chris. How many people were pissed off that we didn't get Antonio Brown? I'm sure there's a, a good amount because they just look at it. Hey, it's, it's a weapon for Josh Allen. Okay. But we don't need that money or that headache attitude. No. And here's a GM that understands that. And here's a GM that understands, hey, it's not going to be sexy, but we're going to keep grinding away at making a football team. We're going to let the football team speak for itself. We're going to let the play in the field speak for itself, not cash grabs and PR stunts. That, if, if anything else, should make Bills fans everywhere feel better about where we are today. Agree or disagree, Chris? Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. And before we uh, hit up our free agency here, Labatt Blue has this blue Citra out. Oh, Jesus. I picked up a 12-pack. We have not done a beer review in, it has to be over a year. You know, people have tweeted at us and asked us why we stopped doing the beer reviews, and I think it's just because we ran out of beers to try. Chris, we're going to dust this off. So, folks, we used to take every week, we'd take, during the regular season, we'd take a, a beer, new brand of beer, we'd critique it, give it my honest evaluation. What I hold in my hand is a Labatt Blue Citra, a hoppy session lager, Says that it's 4.7% alcohol, which essentially makes it bottled water. You yep. know my rule on that. Yep. And it says bright hop arona, arona, Jesus Christ. Erroneous. Erroneous on all counts. <laughs> and a crisp, clean finish. Chris, I'm willing to put that to the test. Yeah. Well, you've seen it all over uh, Buffalo, if you live here. They're, all, they're on billboards. All right, it has a What's piney smell to it. It has almost like an IPA, very hoppy scent. Okay. You like IPAs. But... I mean, it is under 5%. First thing is on my didn't. I didn't like it. Chris, this is like you took... All right, I'm going to hold judgment. I'm going to let that kind of wash off my palate. The first taste, not ideal. Not <laughs> ideal, Rocket. 
Well, they haven't put out anything really. Labatt hasn't put out anything good since the Blue Light Royales. Those were fantastic. Chris, this is like if you were to take a Coors Light and you were to shove a bunch of hops in the can, not even brew it with hops, just shove them in the can. Like how, like you go to a, like if you go to a real cheap Italian place and they have like the Parmesan cheese on the table, they don't actually bake it into your food. That's what it tastes like they did with the hops in this fucking beer. This is atrocious. Not a fan. Not a fan at all. <laughs> Brewed with Citra and Mosaic hops. Listen, I've had both of those hops and beers and had them be incredible. This is disgusting. Well, if anybody out there they wants... They should be ashamed of themselves for this. If anybody out there wants uh, 10 cans of beer, <laughs> get at us on Twitter and we'll find a way to get them to you. I'm going to go down to the blue to the, the draft house and raise some fucking hell over this. I want names. <laughs> Who's responsible for this swill? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Chris, that belongs out back with the Labatt grapefruit. Oh, yeah. That was from our early days, yeah, 2016. I, I told you, you needed to shotgun that, that, that 12-pack. You needed to take a shotgun to it and bury it in the backyard where it belonged. And so with that, folks, while we're on the topic of wild overreactions... Seems like a great time to launch into 2019 free agency conversation. We're going to kick us off with part one of the Rock Pile Report's free agency breakdown, the Knee Jerk Reaction Podcast. Oh my God! Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's the Everybody procedure, everyone? What's the procedure? Stay calm! Wait, 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 wait. Everybody just calm down! No, wait. Wait, let me say something. Let me say something. <laughs> I don't under I didn't understand a one word you said. Ron, ah. are you okay? Ron. <laughs> Ron, <laughs> where are you? I'm in a glass case of emotion. That's right, folks. It is free agency season. That magical time of year where every Dolphins fan usually thinks they're headed to the Super Bowl. Every team thinks they just signed the next Reggie White-esque player to redefine their team, and fans of franchises like ours watch their team spend the early hours of free agency doing almost nothing significant. I mean, Chris, it's enough to make you contemplate just laying down on the floor in frustration, covering ourselves with old newspapers, and passing out from acute alcoholism. I mean, I I thought that the Morse signing was big. We'll get to that in a minute, but, I mean, that was our biggest... That was our splash, was Morse. I'd like to tackle you out of your fucking chair sometimes. Oh, my God, I want to come over this table to you. (sighs) Guys, when the dust settles and free agency finally calms down, there's going to be a time for us to sit down with subject matter experts, analysts, and some people a lot more pragmatic than we are to parse through the Buffalo Bills 2019 free agent class as a whole, try to determine its overall value, and what it means to the long-term implications for the team as we approach the draft with nuanced and well-researched opinions. Today, however, is not that day. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. That's fucking right, mass hysteria. Monday was rough, okay? Waiting, watching. Just, I feel like I experienced at least half of the existing human emotions, from jealousy and rage to despair to just grim acceptance, all in the span of five hours, Chris. Five hours of Monday morning. (laughs) 
And while I understand that there's a lot of you out there that you come here every week for nuanced research discussion about Bill's topics, eh, I'm going to do my best to give it to you. So get those ACLs and Achilles tendons ready, folks, because we are knee-jerking like motherfuckers over here this week. First of all, let's take a look. The AFC East. If, if I'm going to start anywhere, it's with the Patriots, okay? And they're and not just the fact that they made, did almost nothing, that they let players leave and everybody made fun of them for doing so. First of all, their left tackle Trent Brown signs with Oakland is the highest paid left tackle in the NFL's history. The legend of Dante Scarnecchia continues. I mean, I swear to God, all of these Patriots offensive linemen who leave for these fat stacks of cash better be buying Dante Scarnecchia, the offensive line coach from the New England Patriots, something really fucking nice. Think about it, Chris. Oh, I know when, what they could get him. A massage. <laughs> you know a place? I know a place or two. <laughs> we, you may have heard a place where, uh, yeah. or, or at least maybe they can get the address from somebody they know. Jesus Christ. I mean, just a year after offensive tackle Nate Solder left the Patriots and cashed in with the Giants in free agency, after having a mostly positive career with the Patriots, I mean, he was, what, he was on a couple of those Super Bowl teams. He he performed pretty well year over year over year. And two years after offensive tackle Marcus Cannon, who, according to our listener and Patriots correspondent Christian Simonelli, was a total boob before Skarnakia came back from retirement, he landed a multi-year extension with the franchise. I mean, just a year later, we see the highest paid offensive tackle in NFL history, and it was a guy the Patriots traded a mid-round pick for. That's it. I'm just shocked that Oakland didn't uh, want to give any of that money to Khalil Mack, but you'll <laughs> give it to Trent Brown. It's fucking absurd. Trent Brown was the 32nd ranked offensive tackle, according to Pro Football Focus. And yet somehow the, decided, the Raiders decided to make him the highest paid tackle in history because they're idiots with money and a collection of bad haircuts. <laughs> yeah, it starts at the top. And now, because of it, the Patriots get on the, the right in line. Between that and the massive deal that the Lions gave to uh, Trey Flowers, they're in line for more compensatory picks. Son of a bitch. Has the NFL learned nothing? Has the NFL learned nothing? Overpaying Patriots cast-offs is not a good idea. Or hiring Patriots cast-offs. I mean, think about it. Chandler Jones. I haven't heard Chandler his name. Jones, Jamie Collins. I haven't heard Gerard his name. Gerard Mayo. Who's Where that? Where are all these fucking guys? Oh, that's right. They left the Patriots and turned into pumpkins. I mean, it's fucking absurd that no... A casual observer of football. I'm not going to call myself an expert. A casual observer of football can point out the fact that when people leave the Patriots, they get worse. I still have emotional scars from the time we signed defensive end Mark Anderson. Okay? God. He had 10 sacks. Why do you have to bring that up? He had 10 sacks. He signed here for a multi-year contract. He played five games in a Bills uniform. Five games. One sack. And then he rode off into the sunset and retired. It's, it's fucking ridiculous. I... <sighs> the only silver lining here when you look at the Patriots, it's the second consecutive year that they're losing a left tackle to free agency. Chris, they can't possibly keep getting away with just plugging guys in and having them be 
having them be serviceable year after year after year. They inevitably have to hit a pothole in the road, right? Yeah, it's when Brady retires. <laughs> the sad thing is the Patriots are loaded with draft capital, so they could just reload at all their offensive line positions if they wanted to. I fucking hate this, and I hate I hate the Raiders almost as much as I hate the Patriots for the, just for doing this, for, for putting everybody in this position. Then you look at Miami. I mean, the silence is deafening. I mean, like a lot of us, I've gotten used to the Miami Dolphins win the Super Bowl in March and April on an almost an annual basis. I mean, Chris, this team has a track record of spending like a drunken sailor in Atlantic City. Okay? Every single season, they go out, they hit the market hard, and then their fans spend the, the entire summer screaming about how this is the free agency class that's going to solve all of our problems. This is the spending spree that's going to put us over the top. So this year, you can imagine my surprise when through three days, all they've done is re-sign some wide receiver that everybody in their fan base seemed to hate. I mean, Chris, here's a live look at what's going on in their offices right now as we speak. Chris, you got to ask yourself, has Miami finally seen the light? I mean, did, did their owner and GM finally realize that you can't buy your way out of a mediocre team? No, you can't, and this is... this. This upcoming season should set themselves up to, at some point, get, uh, uh, what's it, to a tag of Viola if he comes out in the draft, or are you going to wait another year or two for Trevor Lawrence? You got to, it'll be like a, they'll be shit for the next three years. Three years? Two to three years. It seems aggressive. I mean, well, why? Nobody I, goes to their games anyway. <laughs> I mean, hey, listen, I'm with you. I hate those teal sons of bitches. They're empty stands. Their smugness over the fact they don't have to shovel snow for five months out of the year. Fuck those guys. Okay, they deserve it. They deserve to live through a complete teardown of the roster. Okay, and a few years of us getting to sweep them. How sweet would that be? Oh yeah, it'd be nice if we could uh, win a decade. You know, <laughs> like they beat us in the seventies. Ah, oh, Jesus. I mean, Chris, they don't even know who the hell their quarterback's going to be. I thought it was going to be Bridgewater. Maybe. Or Tyrod. No, Tyrod signed with the Chargers. Not even Tyrod. Would be. <laughs> That's kind of sad. What does that say about your franchise? The Browns get rid of Tyrod Taylor, so he has an option to go to Miami to potentially win the starting job. Now nah, I'm going to go to L.A. and I'll just be a backup. <laughs> I don't know, but that's pretty fucking great. And then there's the Jets. The Jets and their spending spree that wasn't. I mean, Chris, this is classic. I, I don't know. This, this because I'm a petty human being, just re- Chris, I'm, I'm pitching a half stack just, just thinking about this. Part of my mania on Monday was because I'm watching the Jets. You know, I keep seeing all these notifications popping up on my phone while I'm sitting at my desk at work. The Jets started the day. I mean, there's, there's, they're, they're bebopping and scanting and moving. They're, you know, they, first of all, they signed us. I don't understand. They signed Jamison Crowder, who's a slot receiver, which is odd because they also re-signed Quincy Anunua to a four-year deal, who's a wide receiver, formerly a tight end, who operates almost exclusively out of the slot. So, Chris, are you just running a ton of dime packages? Or did you just sign two starting slot receivers? I, I don't fucking know what they did here. Yeah, you're asking the wrong guy. And then they started swinging for the fences. 
I mean, the reports started rolling in that not only were they going to sign uh, stud linebacker C.J. Mosley from the Ravens and Anthony Barr from the Vikings at a combined average value, you know, if you were looking at annual average value of the contracts, it was supposed to come in at like $32 million a year for the two of them. But they were also our primary competition for center Matt Paradis, and they were the front runners for Le'Veon Bell. So when you're seeing all this stuff rolling in one after another, after another, after another update, and there is nothing coming out about the Buffalo Bills. I mean, it was driving me to the edge of my sanity, my nightmare scenario. I mean, it's the Jets using that hundred million dollars of cap space that they'd accumulated by being shitty drafters and not having to keep their own players to just spend their way past everybody in the division and make themselves relevant. And then... It all kind of unraveled a little bit. (laughs) First of all, Anthony Barr, that's just funny. He used the Jets as leverage to get a better deal out of the Vikings. Kind of the same way, like, if you're a Sabres fan. Kind of like what, uh, what's his face there in Toronto? Their coach. Their head coach. Oh, Mike Babcock. Oh, Mike Babcock used the Sabres to just leverage more money out of the city of Toronto. Oh, he goes running back home to the Vikings on a higher, on a fatter contract than what the Jets could afford to give him, which obviously threw them in the lurch because they had no idea it was happening. I mean, Chris, he was clearly terrified about the prospect of maybe getting vaulted by Josh Allen a second time. Could be. And then, just as hilariously, after it seemed like it was a foregone conclusion, after we signed Morse, that Paradis had to go to them, right? I mean, Chris, if you're in direct competition with another team and that team signs another player, you assume by default team number two lands that player, right? I didn't even know they were in the market for a center. (laughs) They absolutely were. And then he inexplicably signs with the Panthers because, yes, yes, folks, this is real. The Jets were so busy going back and forth with Bell and his agent that they failed to send Paradis and his agent any tangible paperwork to actually sign. Chris, that's up there with the time that the Broncos lost Elvis Doomerville because they forgot to fit. Fa- they called him. They called his agent. They said, hey, we're going to extend your contract. It's going to be great. You're going to stay with the franchise as a pass rusher forever. And then they got so happy about it, they forgot to fax the papers. <laughs> and the deadline passed, and he ended up signing with the Ravens. This is the exact same scenario. And I'm pretty sure that GM ended up getting fired. How do you forget? Chris, how do you forget to send a contract? I don't know. Didn't, uh, <laughs> didn't the, uh, the, the Browns do that with uh, McCarron? They're the Browns. It's the, the trade paperwork. So, so what you're saying is, Chris, their GM is on the same page as the Browns? Probably. <laughs> McCagnon, you motherfucker. <laughs> so think about it. You've got a huge need at the center position. The player's agent is based out of New York City. He's a huge Jets fan, and you have the money to spend, but you still find a way to fuck it up. Way to go, Jets. Way to go. Yes, you landed Le'Veon Bell. I'm not going to pretend to know what that means in terms of wins and losses for the New York Jets in 2019. And I, Chris, he wasn't a player I wanted to see in our division. I mean, what, what were your thoughts on it? Hey, I, I mean, I didn't look into his actual numbers. I saw... Four years, 50-something, whatever million. And I know in four years, the Jets are going to have to pay Sam Darnold. So, 
Well, that contract will be gone. That money goes to Sam Darnold in four years. That's that's the way I I thought of it. And this is it's going to take a load off of Sam Darnold for one because well. Bell can catch out of the backfield. He uh, he'll handle the rock twenty to twenty five times if you need him to. And uh, most importantly, it's a it's a piece that hopefully can uh, propel the Jets to a. Not to win, but to get to a Super Bowl. So you have to drink Seagram's uh, on every one of your kids' birthdays until Sam Darnold retires. Yeah, folks, that's a bet that I made one drunken night with Chris. No, Um, I was on the show with Schofield (laughs) on the quarterback show last year for the draft. Oh, God. What was that, Chris? If if, if Darnold takes the... We didn't know who he was going to be with, so it's... If Darnold gets the Jets to the Super Bowl, they don't have to win. It's just get in the Super Bowl in his first five years, and then you have to drink a six-pack of Seagram's on every single one of your kids' birthdays until Darnold retires. So that means if that, hap- if that happens, I could be showing up to the hospital when Larissa's given birth. Oh, how did you smuggle in a six-pack of Seagram's into the hospital? We, we got a bet to do. Drink these and hold your newborn child. It's technically his birthday. He's zero. Drink these six right now. Oh, folks. Jesus Christ. How did we end up here? I don't know. But then we've got the Buffalo Bills. I mean, <laughs> yes, Monday was rough. But I've had a little time to reflect on it, and I've broken everything that's happened here for the Buffalo Bills in the last 72 hours down into essentially three categories. The good, the meh, and the what the fuck. Okay? So, Chris, we start things off with WTF. That is one big pile of shit. First of all, I'd like to start off. My thoughts. I want to start off with things that sucked. Lazy coverage by major networks and outlets, okay? The Buffalo Bills have been erroneously linked and rumored to be in the market for at least half a dozen players in the last three days. I mean, Chris, Ian Rappaport with the whole Antonio Brown situation. Jay Glazer talking about, oh, the Bills might, might trade for Frank Clark. And then the Bills came out and just categorically denied it. And then some idiot named Incarcerated Bob, who, I, if I'm going to level with you people out there, I'm already blocked on Twitter by him, and I don't even know why. I, I asked a question about something stupid he tweeted like two years ago. And I can't, whenever I see people talking about him, I think of Sideshow Bob. Yeah, he's an idiot. <laughs> comes from upbringing. It comes from upbringing. Parents are probably idiots, too. Talking about this whole, oh, the Bills have signed Matt Paradis thing. It's a done deal, blah, 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 blah. I mean, everybody has to remember When you're on Twitter, you're on Facebook, you're watching ESPN, there's at least 70% of these guys, for as much as you might follow them on TV, social media, and radio, they're nothing but a fucking mouthpiece. That's all they are. They exist because somebody has to talk. Somebody has to break news. Somebody has to drum up rumors and content to create interest. And the only news that they're reporting News, quote unquote. You can't see it. It's a visual joke that it doesn't carry on radio, but fuck me, I'm doing it anyway. The only news they're reporting is what they're being told by some amalgamation of agents, front office members, and just assorted middlemen. You know, people who work in the middle of all that shit. 
And every one of them has an agenda. Look at the Le'Veon Bell situation. Somehow the Bills were, again, air quotes, reported to have interest. We, Chris, we were one of the, this morning, or yesterday morning was. Yeah, I saw it from Josina Anderson at ESPN. We were were one one of six six teams that were supposed to be in on Le'Veon Bell. Colts, Jets, Ravens, Packers, Bills, Colts. I think I, I think I got all six there. Meanwhile, we have LaShawn McCoy on the roster at $9 million, and we literally just signed another running back yesterday. What the fuck? How does this happen? This is just irrational. I mean, if that... I, I, anybody who's paying more than a few iotas of attention to the Buffalo Bills had to see that report and raise an eyebrow. You had to. And then at the end of the day, once the contract was signed with the Jets... It sort of came out through the course of conversation that no one but the Jets was having anything more than a half-assed conversation with his agent. There was no real interest from anybody else but the Jets. It was literally just the Jets and his agent. Okay, So ask yourself, how does that happen? How does it happen that so many teams are in on a player and then all of a sudden they're not? It turns out that nobody was bidding on Le'Veon Bell. This is what happens. The talking heads of the world, the Schefters, the Rappaports, they're just regurgitating anything and everything that comes across their desk from any sort of any source of information who may or may not have skin in the game in hopes of getting a scoop, driving web traffic, generating bullshit for the people on TV to then spend another three hours dissecting and talking about, which creates more content that they can sell you advertising during. It's probably just all agent, player agents. Thank you. Most of it's horseshit. It, it, it's incredibly frustrating. I'm genuinely glad that I've been too busy to agonize over most of it. Because, Chris, I mean, at this point, it's like white noise. You hear this stuff, and how long until you just start ignoring it? I mean, they gotta, you got to drive a conversation on first take and the herd and uh, undisputed and all those uh, argumentative shows. They need all those topics. I'd like to see them take all the hot air, all of the hot air that they're just filling. They're just filling up the air with all these words. I'd like to see them take a balloon and fill it and then get a basket, hook it up, all climb into it and fly it to someplace in the middle of the fucking mountains and just end like the movie alive. (laughs) That's it. That's what I want after watching all this play out. (laughs) Speaking Speaking of alive, Chris. Running back Frank Gore's career is still alive and thriving. <laughs> I didn't like this signing. Who, who did? What the fuck is that? Frank Gore signs with the Buffalo Bills a one-year, $2 million contract. And I will not calm down about this. People have already tweeted at me about it. This is absurd. You went and got... Oh, okay, I get it. I get it. He's a highly accomplished running back. Okay? L- listen, I'll preface it with this. I hate the sport of baseball now as an adult. But as a kid, I was in love with Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan currently leads the uh, leads Major League Baseball in in all-time strikeouts. Okay? He's 900 ahead of Randy Johnson. 900 strikeouts ahead of Randy Johnson. But that's not hard to do when you play until you're 45 years old. It's not hard to do. So with that said, it's not 
shocking when people look, say, oh, well, look at Frank Gore and his historical stats and look how many yards and this, that, the other. Who gives a fuck? The guy's Methuselah. He's Methuselah in a Bills jersey. You, <laughs> you mean to tell me that you can't find a running back option between rounds three and five? I don't know what this is. I mean, right now we have the oldest running back. While everybody else is getting younger and more dynamic at the running back position, the Buffalo Bills, I'm all for zigging when everybody else zags, but this is this is a, a strong outlier. Hey, I know. Everybody's getting younger at the running back position. Let's get the oldest group of running backs together that anybody's ever seen. Does he still wear a leather helmet? I, I don't know, but it's LaShawn McCoy, Chris Ivory, and Frank Gore. And it just reminds me of that heist movie that I saw like two summers ago where it was, what is it, Michael Caine and uh, Morgan Freeman and that other uh, other like old Italian guy I don't trying know why to pull asking, off a bank robbery. I don't know why you're asking me. Oh, yeah, you I've don't never heard of it or, or seen it. I mean, literally at the end of the day, it's... It's, you're talking about old men going out there trying to do a young man's job. I just don't understand it. The signing makes no sense to me. You can spin it as the team wanted leadership and they wanted to, who gives a fuck? You're a 35-year-old running back. You're going to be 36. You're older than me running a football in the NFL. Stop it. I did put out a secret bet on Twitter, but nobody responded to it. Probably because I'm going to be right. I said secret bet. Frank Gore retires in training camp or during the season. <laughs> Nobody said anything to us because they know I'm probably right. Because Anquan Bolden, uh, Vontae Davis. Davis, Jesus Christ, Frank Gore. Wow, that's, a, that's fucking depressing. I'm going to drink to that. And then finally on my list of bitches, cornerback Kevin Johnson signs with the Buffalo Bills. I mean, Chris, this franchise cannot get enough of... They just love brittle cornerbacks. I mean, what the fuck? Here's a list of names. Let me read them to you, Chris. Andra Davis, Brandon Spikes, Corey Bierman, Nick Barnett, EJ Gaines. Over the last 10 years, the Bills have acquired some quote-unquote cheap veteran defenders with upside that were essentially farts in the wind when you want to talk about what they did for this team long-term. They had varying levels of on-field production. I mean, I remember Nick Barnett for like a year or so was pretty good. But then by the end, I didn't even know he was out there on the field. Brandon Spikes, we didn't miss him. Andre Davis, you don't even know who that is. I know you don't. No, (laughs) I don't. Johnson is this year's Andre Davis. His presence on the roster does nothing for me. I mean, you're talking about a guy that after playing some great snaps in his rookie season in Houston, has played 19 out of 48 potential potential games since then. And he's failed to make any sort of impact at the NFL level. I mean, that's it, Chris. He's, he's, he's okay when he's available, and he's never available. I mean, I know we signed him. I, haven't, I don't recall... Uh, seeing any of his contract terms. How long, like, how long is he... I'm still fishing for contract terms, but here's what I'll say. I mean, if you guys think I'm making too much of this, go check out uh, a fan of the show, listener, friend of ours, Kyle Trimble. He started writing injury injury updates. I mean, he has bangedupbills.com. But he's also started writing pieces for Buffalo Rumblings, and he's got one that we're going to link in tonight's description about 
all of the injuries and his take on, you know, likelihood of recurrence and just where Kevin Johnson stands. I, I urge you, if you think that I'm overblowing any of this, go read it. Go read it and come back to me and tell me what you think. I mean, everyone keeps pointing to this as signing quote-unquote veteran depth to push Levi Wallace in training camp. Fuck it, he won't, he won't make it that he won't make it that far. He's going to get hurt during OTAs, okay? He's at the point where a stiff breeze will have him questionable by the third week of the preseason. And that's it. That's going to be a wrap for him. I mean, I just, Chris, I don't like the move. I mean, I understand the idea of buying cheap and looking for upside or potential because it makes you look like the smartest guy in the room. And if it doesn't pan out, you didn't really lose anything. But in this case, it's buying cheap and praying for a miracle while taking up a, a roster spot. And I swear to God, Chris, if this stops the team from kicking the tires on cornerbacks in the draft, I will vomit out of rage. Vomit. I just want to know what his contract is and, you know, all the, the dead money. If we can just cut him, if he's nothing in training camp and you can just, all right, we've seen enough. You're not worth it. Cut him in training camp. Jesus. I don't know what I'm, uh, my stomach is. Is it the Citra? I don't know what the t- bad taste in my mouth is. If it's Kevin Johnson or if it's the shitty beer. Jesus Christ. Probably the beer. Folks, for the love of God, Labatt Blue Citra, if you're at a party or you're at someone's house and they offer you one of these, you leave because that person is an asshole and a poor host. Jesus Christ. Chris, what are you doing to me here? Hey, there's a Labatt product. They're not that bad. I wanted to try not it. Not that bad. Ugh. I wanted to try it. Get this away from me. Jesus Christ. Moosehead. I never thought I'd see the day where I look to Moosehead to fix my night. <laughs> Moosehead's going to be the thing that brings this around for me. Ah, so then we reach the middling section of our week of free agency. Moves that I just shrug at. I mean, Chris, this is just meh. Yeah, eh, maybe. I mean, it's... Chris, hey, wait, we needed a tight end. It's, it's a lukewarm glass of milk for me, this, this group. And it starts with tight end Tyler Croft. Three years, eighteen point one five million. Okay, eight point three guaranteed, six point two five million a year average annual value, and he's fifteenth paid as far as tight ends go. Now, Chris, we just came off a season where we had a top ten paid tight end who didn't score a touchdown. Now we have a fifteenth paid tight end, middle of the pack, and I'm just not sure how I feel about it. We had one tight end. You weren't going to blow two or three picks on a tight end. You knew we were going to bring somebody in in free agency. Yeah, I did, but I didn't think we'd spend this kind of money. Although, to be fair, the huddles Ryan Lacell did tell me that the Nick Boyle signing a few weeks ago, what was it, a week before free agency broke for the Ravens, was going to set the market for tight end. I mean, you look at what Boyle is. He's a blocking tight end who has some utility as a pass catcher. Croft fits that mold, and it, so his contract ends up in that same $6 million a year range. So I guess I have to eat some crow on that front. I mean, when you look at what Croft is as a player, I mean, I really don't know what to do with this. Kroom is more receiver than blocker. We know that when we watch what he, what he put on the field in 18. Croft is more blocker than receiver. I mean, over the course of his career with the Bengals, he stayed at the line of scrimmage and blocked on a th- one-third more plays than he ran routes. And he really hasn't t- shown a ton as a receiving option when he does run routes. 
His best season finished with 404 yards and seven touchdowns. I mean, he was a receiving option in the red zone. That was about it. We just got rid of a wide receiver who did that. I mean, Andre Holmes, the only time he ever showed up was when we were in the red zone. So I don't know what the real value of this guy is. Because like Kevin Johnson, Croft has a long and illustrious history of injuries, including broken feet and knee problems. Chris, I don't know. What is this move? You had to get a tight end. Literally had one. But you could draft three of them. You're not wasting (laughs) draft... You're not wasting draft capital on three tight ends. No, instead you wasted free agent capital on a guy who will probably be injured by week five. All right. That sounds like a Seagram. (laughs) Do you want to to do that? I'll do that. We'll get into this once I've had a chance to calm down and be a little bit more pragmatic about it. But at the end of the day, I don't know what to expect from Croft, but I'm not wowed by that signing. I'm just not. It doesn't do much for me. Because for as much, again, it fits that same mold of a franchise that's trying to buy low on injury-prone players, and they're hoping to get production. I just don't know. I I shrug at it. Just like I shrug at the next signing. Offensive guard Joe Feliciano. Who? Two-year deal. I didn't even bother looking at the money because who gives a fuck? Chris. What are the odds this guy's gonna what are the odds this guy's going to be meaningful to the twenty nineteen Buffalo Bills? He's got a shot. How good were their were our guards last year? It's I'm I guess it's fair of me to say that Feliciano, according to everything I've read in the last twenty four hours, because <laughs> that's about how long I've had, he can apparently play any position along the offensive line as a at a backup level. Okay, great. What happened to, to Wyatt Teller? Couldn't Wyatt Teller play guard? I wouldn't I mean, think he started. Start, I, th- I think Teller will start this year at guard. Oh, that's oh. There's, dude, I, I just don't understand. You had cheaper options. If you're sending this guy in free agency, it means he's making at least a million to $2 million a year as a backup. I'm sorry, but if you, to me, if you're... If, if you're just looking for a backup, a body you can plug in there in the event that somebody gets hurt, what happened to the guys, Ike Bodiger? Uh, well, what is it? The uh, John Miller? No, well, no, not John Miller, but Wyatt Teller. And there was a couple other guys, young guys, cheaper, with more upside because they have, they have shorter NFL careers. They could learn. They could provide you more value. Maybe they develop more as you just keep him on the roster. I don't know. I just, again, it's a signing that, to me, I'm not even going to try to find out anything about this guy, Chris, because I don't expect him to be here very long, and I don't expect to hear his name very often. I just don't. And so that brings me to the good things that happened this week. Actually, I'm not even mad. That's amazing. It is amazing, because usually I'm pissed off about everything this team does this time of year. Well, what, a month ago, you... Outline that you didn't want Mitch Morse, considering his injury history. Yeah, Nate, Nate, WGR 550's Nate Geary had a real opportunity to take me down on a Seagram's bet, and he waffled. Man, I, wishes he bet that. <laughs> I bet he wishes he had that back. Guys, this is the signing that salvaged day one of free agency for me, even if it does come with a little bit of trepidation. I mean, you watch... Teams everywhere looking for ways to get better 
all around us, and the Bills were doing their I mean, their teams are searching out ways to make their roster better, and the Bills were over here like Stevie Wonder, just hey hey hey, <laughs> just plunking away at the piano. Ah, oh, Jesus. So when Monday ended with the announcement that the team had come to terms with what is arguably the best center of this year's class, I felt a little bit better about everything. I mean, Chris, he's a massive upgrade over what we had at center. You can't get worse. Bodine, not good. Average. You'd call Bodine average towards the end of the season. Groy, way below average. Groy, below average. I mean, I... And I guess that's the mercurial nature of what we're doing here in terms of the center position. When we had, when Eric Wood broke his leg, who was the coach? That was Rex Ryan and then Anthony Lynn. Yep. During that span, you're talking about uh, Groy played himself into an extension with the Buffalo Bills. They were like, oh, we need to hang on to this guy because he might be the answer. He might figure this out. We need to extend him because he he picked right up where Eric Wood left off that season. And then he fell off a cliff with a new offensive coordinator and never really found his feet. So, I don't know, Chris. I, I mean, the, we, we came out of the season going, holy shit, who's going to be our center? You watched Josh Allen under siege in terms of A-gap pressure for a lot of last season. When you're a guy who throws the ball the way he throws it, you'd love to be able to throw some long developing patterns. Let your faster receivers get open downfield. But you can't do that when your center can't pass protect. I was going to say, I believe there's, you got to, I don't know if you can back me up on this, uh, but I believe Morris hadn't like given up a sack since like, I think our president was a reality star at the time. He gave up a, <laughs> the last time he gave up a sack. Yeah, it was, it was two, like 2016. 2015 was the last sack he gave up in the last two seasons. Okay? And he was the seventh best pass-protecting center in the NFL. And he's not bad in the run game. He finished top 20, according to Pro Football Focus. No, he's not perfect. That's the thing. And that's where some of my concern comes from. That's why I didn't want it. You know, I, I said I didn't want him if there were other options available. We just made him the league's highest paid interior offensive lineman, despite the fact that not only has he missed half of the games he could have played over the last two seasons, but his injuries include significant foot injuries and concussions. That's that's it, Chris. That's the only issue I take with this signing. Otherwise, there's a ton to love here because he's a massive upgrade from what we saw on the field in 2018. When you think about what his pass protection brings for Josh Allen, you're to a clean pocket to throw from. If you can upgrade the guard position and upgrade the center position and that center holds his own and does what you anticipate he's going to do, that gives a pocket for a guy like Allen who can throw the, like Uncle Rico, can throw the ball over those mountains. Yeah, like the Jacksonville touchdown where he climbed the pocket. Exactly. It gives you more of an opportunity to see plays like that where we can expose safeties with our deep speed at wide receiver, or where, or where he has time to let intermediate routes develop. Let guys who can run precise routes get opening coverage. Buy him four seconds in the pocket. Buy him three seconds in the pocket. I mean, I feel like last year, Chris, more often than not, Josh Allen was either scrambling for his life or had people in his face shortly after the snap. 
I mean, it's just incredible how bad we were in that facet, which is why this signing makes a lot of sense. It's not just a knee-jerk reaction. It's the GM understanding that, hey, I have a guy with a specific skill set, and in order to maximize the output of that, I have to be able to let him step up in the pocket and make those throws. So he went out and took a swing for the fences at what he thinks is going to bring him that. I pray to God he's right, Chris. Pray to God he's right. I feel like that uh, guy from the Chappelle Show skit when he's talking about the cake. I don't remember that one. <laughs> Yellow cake. Swear, pray to God you don't drop that shit. <laughs> just the old old black hype man. Jesus Christ. It's just, oh, I, I pray to God this works. I'm crossing my fingers, guys. Then, a signing that I'm actually pretty proud of. Offensive tackle Ty Neshke. Two years $14.5 million, $7.7 million guaranteed, $7.25 million annual value, 30th overall in the NFL if you're looking at annual value for tackles, okay? This was, I'm going to play for you audio from, I think, three weeks ago, Chris, four I, weeks ago. I think it was a month ago with a Nate Geary. With Nate Geary when we were talking about offensive free agents. He is a fantastic backup tackle. Washington, you talk about the offensive line injuries that the Washington Redskins have seen over the last few years. Pretty crazy. It's it's insane to see how injured their offensive line has been. So this backup tackle has gotten a lot of playing time. Here and there, they've used him as a left tackle. They've They've used him as a right tackle. He's proven decent at both positions. He hasn't had the wear and tear on his body that a lot of guys have. And yet when he's been asked to come into the lineup, he's thrived. With that said, he seems like a guy who's ready to make the jump to a team that's willing to pay him the right amount of money. You talk about the importance of your pro scouting department. Our head of pro scouting just got an assistant GM job somewhere. He's not working in Miami as an assistant GM. Our pro scouting has done pretty well. I'm hoping that they left them the groundwork to find guys like this guy who you're not going to have to pay Mitch Morse money. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have to go out there and pay Trent Brown money. But at the same time, he can come in and be just as effective for you. There was you a month ago on our show. It's like the third year in the row you've called a free agent to come to Buffalo. Fucking right. Because I... Mm, Too I bad want- you're not this good at the draft. <laughs> No, I am just as bad at the draft as I am good at talking about just free agents and trying to pick through what fits the Bills' needs. I'm not always right, but when I am, Chris, it's hard not to want to point it out just a little bit. Just a little bit. And I'm glad that the powers that be over at One Bills Drive agree with me every now and again. Looking into the numbers behind this guy, though, they speak for themselves. Last year, he started multiple games at the left tackle position. Gave up no sacks and just five quarterback hurries. He had to take on pass rushers like Jadavian Clowney. I retweeted today, if you want to go to our Twitter, at Rockpile Report. They broke down his entire game against the the Houston Texans and Clowney playing uh, against him almost primarily. And it's a condensed version of every snap that he had to go in pass protection against him. And he whooped Clowney's ass the entire day. As a left tackle, coming in as a backup. Chris, that's fucking impressive, considering Clowney is, 
I mean, he's been franchise tagged by the Houston Texans, and he's regarded as one of the better pass rushers out there, young pass rushers in the NFL. He's a huge physical freak of a man. And the fact that as a backup, Neshke was able to handle him, it speaks volumes to his talent level and how underrated he is. Not only that, but with him playing multiple positions, he can play guard if necessary. He's played both tackle spots. That's that famous McDermott quote-unquote utility. Right? Yeah. Uh, utility. He loves guys who do multiple do things. Do you pencil this guy in to start right now? Well, I don't know. I mean, he might be good enough to consider as a starter. And if not, he's proven that he has all of the chops and all of this upside of a starter to more than hold his own against some of the... Just as a backup, he will crush it. It's incredible. I feel like as a backup, he's the epitome of what you want. If something were to happen or something were to go wrong, you swing for the fences at right tackle in the draft. Something happens to either one of our tackles. You know, you draft a bookend. Okay, you have a premier backup in the NFL. And if something goes wrong, great, you've got a guy you can slot in there. Or you can let Neshke go into training camp and try to win that job. And if he does, you're going to look like a fucking genius for having found him for what? $7 million? Pretty nice for a tackle. Fucking right. Especially after seeing what Juwan James out of Miami just signed for. What, $12 million a year at right tackle? Yeah, no, thank you. That's fucking incredible. It's a $5 million swing. I mean, <laughs> it's hard not to get excited about a signing like that, Chris. And then there's the two signings that I think are probably being... <laughs> I don't want to say are the most important because obviously center was the biggest get of the day, but the two most underrated signings of the week, wide receivers, John Brown and Cole Beasley, three and four years, respectively, nine million a year and $7.25 million a year, respectively, both less than 22nd in the NFL at their position. Do you remember last season at towards the end of the season when I said, I don't think that Daybolt, like Daybolt's making cookies. And McBean says, all right, here's your ingredients to make cookies. And all they gave him with chocolate, with chocolate chips, Josh Allen. They don't have the pieces needed for Daybolt's offense. John Brown and Cole Beasley, we just picked up brown sugar and vanilla extract. Let's, <laughs> let's get some. <laughs> Guys, I want to start this conversation about these two wide receivers. Albert Breer. Okay, put out a tweet today that I, I, I just it was in response to a lot of the people talking about the Antonio Brown trade and the Odell Beckham trades. He says, I don't want to dump water on any parades, but here's a list of the number one wide receiver on the last 10 Super Bowl champions. Julian Edelman times three, Alshon Jeffrey, Demarius Thomas, Golden Tate, Anquan Bolden, Victor Cruz, Greg Jennings. And Marcus Colston. <laughs> yeah. Not exactly a veritable who's who of the elite wide receivers in the NFL. I, no, not at all. You build from the inside out. Everybody knows that. You don't need headaches like Beckham or Brown. You just got to have good wide receivers. It's, it, it really is interesting when you take a look at it and you see that elite wide receiver talent doesn't always result i mean think about it chris michael thomas julio jones 
Think about the, the the star wide receivers that we've seen in the last five years. Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry He's doesn't have what, what does he have? One playoff appearance in his entire career. Yeah, with Miami, one playoff game, and he did nothing. I mean, it's when you look at the wide receiver position and the guys who go out there. It's not about wide receivers, or at least history would tell us it's not. I don't know. It's just really interesting to me that. Sometimes a wide receiver core, the sum is better than its parts. And that's why these two signings are really interesting to me. First of all, John Brown. It's our second go-round in negotiations with John Brown. And hey, I don't fault him, Chris, for not signing here last year. Chris, if I told you, hey, you told Chris, me, You told me a month ago you didn't want him here. I said I didn't want him here because I don't want a guy who can run go-routes. And that's it. He doesn't have a route tree. But with that said, he's got upside. And I like what he brings to the table. But what I'm asking you, Chris, if I came to you, okay, and I said, hey, I've got two cars. You can buy one. You, you, you can get in either one of them. You can take either one you want. One of them literally just came off the assembly line, and I have no idea who put it together. <laughs> I don't know what brand it is. I don't know how it's constructed. I don't know how long it's going to last. Was it made in America? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> On the other side, I have this car. This car, it's got some mileage on it, but it's faster, sportier. You could definitely pick up some chicks in it. Which one are you taking? The second one (laughs) on chicks alone. (laughs) So with that said, you can understand why John Brown would take the Ravens over the Buffalo Bills when that's what you're offering him at the quarterback position. Here's a guy who won a Super Bowl. Here's a team that makes the playoffs Usually, <laughs> here's yeah. a team that just broke a 17 year playoff drought and is looking to be bad offensively. I don't blame him for sh- for you know bypassing us last year. Now, when you look at what he brings to the table, though, it's clear he has a fit and what he brings to the table. I think it's going to help a lot. He's got a career yards per reception of 15 yards per catch. And he had 17 yards per reception last season and five touchdowns on just 2.6 catches per game. So what that tells you is that on minimal touches, he's getting down the field and he's scoring touchdowns, okay? When you look at what Robert Foster did, if you just want to compare the two apples to apples, Robert Foster put up 20 yards per reception, three touchdowns on 2.1 catches per game. What you have with the two of them now on the same roster is a pair of deep threats with speed and room to grow in terms of reliability in you know those kind of deep to intermediate areas. Neither one of them are ever going to be a guy who you see take a shallow crossing route. That's not who they are. John Brown's 5'10". He's a smaller guy. He, he pro- I imagine that he probably gets jammed at the line of scrimmage pretty easily. But with that said, he's got speed, and he uses it to his advantage a couple times a game to get loose for big catches. Robert Foster was doing the same thing at six foot two. He's the guy you look at and you say, okay, by comparison, if he gets a little bit... you know, With the two of them, it just opens up your options. Tandem speed provides you depth when you're looking at your playbook. You know, Chris, perfect example, three wide receiver sets. Teams are going to have a hard time patrolling the middle of the field with their safeties unless they really trust the fact that in a three-wide receiver set with Foster on one side, Brown on the other, 
your cornerback's not going to get torched by one of these guys? Because if you let him loose, or God forbid, like that Jacksonville touchdown. Yep. I, I rewatched it the other day. The touch, the long Foster touchdown against Jacksonville. Barry Church as a safety. He's a veteran. He knows what he's doing. But he's also a little lazy in this coverage. He's patrolling the center field, but he doesn't realize how fast these guys are. The cornerback, it, it, they, they play single high with Barry Church back there. Foster shakes his man and cuts across his face in the middle of the field, and Church can't recover once Foster catches the ball, and it's just a horse race to the end zone, and he's not even close. Now imagine trying to play single high and drop down in the box when you've got two wide receivers that can do that to you. That's what I'm talking about. It's it's a great signing for the Buffalo Bills. It really is. And I can't wait to see what it does for our offense come the regular season. Yeah, I'm more excited about Cole Beasley. Of course you are. <laughs> of course you are. He's your vanilla extract. Exactly. <laughs> I think I just think he's going to be a security blanket for uh, Josh Allen. No, I I really am interested by the Beasley signing. I mean, here's what in just limited research I'm able I was able to dig up. When you compare him to John Brown, you know, Cole Beasley had one of the lower yards per reception in the NFL. He's ranked 90th. Okay, John Brown was top 10 in the NFL in yards per reception. Cole Beasley is 90th. But he posted 65 total receptions, which is higher than anybody on Buffalo's roster in 2018. I'd I'd say combined. Sounds like combined. (laughs) You could combine some of our wide receivers, and they wouldn't have had that many catches. He ranked 34th in catch percentage, okay? 74.7%. The only Bills players with more than three games played who had a higher percentage... Wide receiver Ray Ray McLeod, he got in the doghouse and just never got out of it. Defensive tackle Kyle Williams and offensive tackle Deion Dawkins. That's it, Chris. That's it. Nobody on this team had fucking hands last year. I mean, there's a five-minute montage of all the drops that the Buffalo Bills had last year. Cole Beasley is the antithesis of this, okay? Everybody else finished worse in hands. And that's not so much to crow about Beasley as it is to talk about how bad we were last year. I mean, it's it's an upgrade in that department alone. But when you look at those two things together, statistically, and this is what I like to do. I like to take this stat. Okay, well, that's a nice statistic. Let's look at some other things and let's try to tie the two together and let them tell a story. When you take those and you combine them, what you have, it gives you an interesting look into his usage. Low yards per low yards per reception, but a high catch percentage. It underscores the fact that the quarterback that he was playing with, who isn't a world beater, I mean, Dak, no one's going to tell you that Dak Prescott is one of the best passers in the NFL. He was comfortable throwing to Beasley on short and shallow routes in the high traffic areas of the field. I mean, those are the places where if turnovers are going to happen, it's because you're throwing between the linebackers. Because you're throwing in the short area where safeties might be playing zones. I mean, mean, that, first and foremost, it, it underscores the fact that he's trustworthy in terms of his route running and his hands. And, and that's something that our team did not have at all last season. Chris, look how, think about all the different things we tried to get guys open and short. 
I'm just picturing the Patriots game where Isaiah McKenzie lets that ball go directly between his hands. Like it should be a five yard first down catch. And the ball just goes directly between his hands. And we end up punting on that drive. Yeah, That's I'm, why Cole Beasley is here. I'm sure you could, uh, you know, Foster and Brown on the outside and run go routes and, you know, run Beasley underneath. Why well, can't you do it. that? I mean, that's it. And now we have such a diverse skill set with these two signed. But when you're talking about Beasley, I think one of my favorite stats, according to fansided's Nathan Jones from thelandryhat.com, where they cover the Cowboys, Dak Prescott had a 110.6 passer rating whenever he threw to Cole Beasley anywhere from 0 to 20 yards downfield. The guy catches the fucking ball when you throw it to him. And not only does he catch it, but he finds ways to work those shallow zone areas in between the linebackers and safeties enough to get open and get the ball in his hands. Did you happen to see uh, his stuff on Twitter? No, but I did. Well, I did see that somebody tweeted at him and said, oh, good luck winning football games with the Buffalo Bills. And his response was, yeah, I spent seven years with the Cowboys. We didn't win a whole lot there either. <laughs> there, it was, somebody else, somebody also uh, wrote to him, like retweeted his his like goodbye tweet to Cowboy Nation, and uh, said said something to the effect of like, "You're gonna that's how you're gonna do the franchise that gave you a, you know a job." He was like, "Oh, they don't give undrafted free agents jobs. I took that. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love it. I didn't even know that, but you know what? That Chris, that's the type of shit that makes me hard right there." <laughs> Damn it. All right. So there you have it, folks. Through three days of free agent action, I've got a little bit, I've done a little bit of analysis, not nearly enough, more emotion at this point. And I apologize to all of you out there, but there are some overarching takeaways I think we can all just walk away from this experience with. For me personally, I learned a couple things. First and foremost, this, t- this front office loves to buy low on players with injury histories. I mean, you've got gains. Gains last year. Chris Ivory, Vontae Davis, uh, now Croft and Johnson. Chris, they will not stop going back to the well of, hey, well, this dude was injured, but what if he's not? What if he's not? We can steal him for cheap. I I mean, I I get the logic, but at the same time, that's wasting space on your roster. Like I said, if the fact that Kevin Johnson is here stops us from drafting a cornerback, a meaningful cornerback, a prospect who you could maybe groom in the middle rounds to maybe someday have a significant role, I will fucking snap. I will lose. It will be, uh, oh, Chris, you think, you think the last two years of draft coverage were bad? Oh, it'll be a red day. It'll be a red day, sir. I was going to say it kind of like Ross Cockrell. What, we draft him in the fourth round, then we cut him? Went on to Pittsburgh to be meaningful? He went on to start like five or six seasons for two other teams, the Giants and the Steelers. Just get... I'm just saying, Chris. I feel like, I feel like President Nixon from Futurama. Just fucking don't, don't you do it to me, you sons of bitches. The second takeaway that I have, and maybe one of the most important... Is it Brandon Bean? And I heard this quote. I didn't come up with it on my own, so I can't take care of it. But he is a contractual gangster. 
Come on, sweetie. No, don't be a bitch. Let's talk some numbers here. Look at what he's done with this free agent class. This might be the most important facet of everything that happened this week. Chris, you look at the signings and you can debate their merit, just like we've spent the last 20 minutes doing. But at the same time, when you look at how they're constructed, how these deals are written. Oh, my God. If you're a cap geek like Paul Wineski from Hashtag Sports, oh, I, I'm sure. I mean, it, I think these, these he needed some alone time I, with these <laughs> figures when they came out. I think with the, the way that the contracts are bro- broken down, uh, you kind of soften your stance a little on. Morse and Brown, who you didn't like a month ago. Absolutely. Now that you see the contract, well, now I can get behind it. Folks, let me paraphrase this for you. I'm going to run it back, signing by signing, just to paint an overall picture for you. Cole Beasley, $17 million guaranteed. He's getting $14 million of that in the first two years. There are no guarantees beyond that. Tyler Croft, $9 million guaranteed, $8 million in the first two seasons, he has a dead cap number in 2020 of 1.6 million, and in 21 it goes down to 880 grand. Mitch Morris, our star, our hopefully star center signing out of this free agency period, he gets 26.1 million dollars guaranteed. He's the highest paid NFL center. In 2021, we have an out clause where we can get under the out from under the entire deal for just $5.5 million in dead cap. And John Brown, $11 million guaranteed. Next season, we can get out from under his deal for just $3.2 million in dead cap space. All of this coming in the two years where we are the NFL's leading team in cap space. Guys, to know that not only did our GM upgrade arguably the weakest positions of our entire offense on the offensive line and the wide receiver group. But he did so in a way that mitigates any long-term risk to the franchise. Uh, Chris, I just opened a beer. I'm opening a second one because if you can't crack a fresh beer to that, then you and I, we can't drink together. (laughs) Woo! Let's go! Damn it, that feels good. And Chris... I guess the final point is that this offseason is going to continue to be incredibly interesting. I mean, you look at it from free agency. You didn't expect the Bills to be as busy as they were. And then when you look at the value of those, I mean, I'm I'm not talking about, hey, we swung for the fences, but the value that they represent between contract term, the way the contracts were designed, what these players could potentially bring to the table. Chris, I think they did a pretty good job. Yeah, so far, so good. Uh, you wonder what's going to happen with the second wave of free agency when we get there. Well, exactly. That's it. I mean, I mean th- th- this whole offseason just becomes more interesting because of this. I mean, you think about it. We did such a good job here in this opening period, I think, that now you're looking at, okay, how does this impact the draft? Because, again, you watch what they're doing They're systematically, and I want to call it pragmatically, filling holes. They're filling roster obligations. Hey, we know our wide receiver core needs upgrading. Okay, let's go out and do it, but let's not tie ourselves down long-term to anything. Hey, our offensive line needs upgrades. Okay, let's go get some. But we're not going to tie ourselves to any of these guys. 
Chris, even the defensive tackle group with that signing of Phillips two weeks ago. Hey, our defensive tackle group. Hey, we need another body. We need a guy who's familiar with the scheme, maybe with some upside who could be coached into something better. All right, we took a half, you know, what, a $4.5 million flyer on him. But if he doesn't pan out, we're not tied to him long term. Yeah, and you can still take one in the middle round. And rounds. you can still draft one anywhere. Any position is still wide open for us in the draft now. It's incredible the job they've done of upgrading the talent level without closing any of our options. And in fact, if anything, opened them up and makes us more susceptible to taking best player available. And then you look at what that does for us on the undrafted free agent front. That's another thing we're going to be watching over the, you know, the course of the next two months. Last year, we pulled two eventual starters out of undrafted free agency Robert, in Robert Foster and Levi Wallace. Both of whom played in Alabama. Thank you very much. Jesus. Or do you remember uh, we had Dean Kinday gone a couple weeks ago? He said that this is a more thorough job that they're doing, that they're scouting people that are going to be UDFAs. And then you have that inevitable second wave of free agency. I mean, even, even now, you have to, I mean, the second wave of free agency comes after the draft. When you're talking about the guys who are still out there on the market, I'm shocked right now that wide receiver Chris Conley still doesn't have a contract. There's still players out there on the primary market. The next few weeks are going to be interesting because there's still going to be some late signings that creep in. I mean, the inevitable freeze happens right about the second week of April where every team is just, okay, let's see where we land in the draft. And then we'll circle back to these free agents afterwards if we don't address our needs there. For us, this just got incredibly interesting because we didn't spend all of our cap space for next year. We didn't anchor ourselves to anybody long-term, which opens it up to more creative contract crafting and just putting together creative deals to get some of these guys in here. And ultimately, you just have to look at it as the future's all of a sudden brighter than you thought it was going to be five days ago. Chris, I'm excited. I don't know about you. Now, folks... I'm looking at what's left to be sorted out. First of all, this team has to figure out where its pass rush is going to come from still. Now, Ezekiel Anza is rumored to be coming to Buffalo doing a medical check. You hate that. I hate that idea. Uh, Okay, (laughs) listen, I hate a handful of things, folks. I hate people who eat on the toilet. (laughs) In fact, if you eat in the bathroom, oh, my God, you turn my stomach as a human being. I hate green olives. And I hate overpaid or oft-injured defensive ends because they're always going to make more money than they should. Always. So with that said, the fact that the Bills are being tied to Jadavian Clowney, the fact that we have Ezekiel Alonzo who's visiting the team, I'm not interested in any of this. I want to know where our pass rush is going to come from, and I'm hoping it's not by overpaying for either one of these guys. I'm also looking at the depth chart at defensive tackle. Chris, to your point, the draft. You could still add guys to that room the way it's constructed. And we need at least two more guys named Williams, okay? The, we've been seriously depleted of Buffalo Williamses, all right? The team has to go out and get at least three more of them. Three more before training camp, or I will blow a stack. <laughs> Folks, over the next few weeks, as promised, I pr- we will be certain to sit down and take a much more relaxed, 
nuanced, professional approach to dissecting this year's free agency class, including what it means to our draft plans, the roster in terms of competition and heading into training camp. But until then, I really hope you enjoyed everything we put out here tonight. It was a lot of fun doing it. Chris, I'm not going to lie. I've had more fun podcasting in the last few weeks than I did towards the end of last season. It's because there's no football going on right now. It's all building for next season. I feel like this is, I mean, I've said it a handful of times, but I, I have hope. Legitimate hope. And it's dangerous. Hope is a dangerous fucking thing. <laughs> because with that, with expectation, with hope, there's the, the, the there's room for disappointment. Always room for disappointment. There's always room for disappointment. Always. So with that said, I just hope that you guys will stick this whole process out with us and see it into the next season. Next week, we're going to be joined by Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation Radio, the Bleeding Green Nation website, and he's a, he's a scout who was trained at the Scouting Academy. I mean, the guy goes to the Senior Bowl every year. And we're going to take another look at the upcoming NFL draft. You're not going to want to miss it. Make sure you check it out. I got to get I got to get out of here. Chris has to go catch a plane to go watch some screamo band of mice and men and nothing more. I can't fucking wait. Guys, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Thank you for showing up to this week's Rock Pile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.